right, everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to A Thousand Cuts, a BSA podcast. I'm your host, Demetrius, here with my comrades, Tony, Glenn, and here with comrades, Sadie Farrell. They are a anti-fascist and abolitionist, and it is awesome to have a new comrade on as a guest. This is the first time we're having a guest, so this is uh, this is going to be a really, really neat episode as we get into the Pop Left Network. So it is awesome to have Sadie on. We hope everyone uh, has enjoyed their holiday, regardless of what they do or don't celebrate. We hope that y'all enjoyed some time of peace, some time of community and, and with your family or whomever you spend the holidays with. But we are glad to be back with y'all. We're going to jump into some news and we're going to start off with the international news. So first thing on the docket is the Azerbaijani military war crimes. Armenian activists and human rights organizations are making claims that the Azerbaijani forces are engaging in various forms of torture and cruel abuse against their Armenian prisoners of war. Their accusations are a result of multiple videos that surfaced online of Azerbaijani soldiers engaging in acts such as the decapitation of two elderly Armenian men and destroying grave sites. An article from The Guardian reports that In a report on Thursday, Amnesty International said that it authenticated 22 videos from the conflict that depicted extrajudicial executions, the mistreatment of prisoners of war and other captives, and the desecration of the dead bodies of enemy soldiers. Amnesty said it had digitally verified videos showing decapitations and the desecration of corpses, although it stopped short of identifying many of the victims or the circumstances of their deaths. In particular, the report documented the execution by decapitation of two Armenian civilians and the cutting of an Azerbaijani border guard's throat and urged both countries to investigate what it described as war crimes. The depravity and lack of humanity captured in these videos shows the deliberate intention to cause ultimate harm and humiliation to victims in clear violation of international humanitarian law, says Dennis Krivoshi, Amnesty International's research director for Eastern Europe and Central Asia in the report. Earlier, Human Rights Watch released a report documenting how Azerbaijani forces had subjected Armenian prisoners of war to physical abuse and humiliation, including beating and slapping, in videos later shared online. These cases have been verified with family members identifying the victims. Videos of the beheadings have been harder to confirm because they had been stripped of metadata showing where and when they were taken. Amnesty International has called for Armenia and Azerbaijan to investigate the videos of these crimes. Now on to some some billionaire news. Billionaires' wealth increased under the pandemic. The 2,200 billionaires across the globe have seen their collective wealth increase by $1.9 trillion this year. According to an article in Forbes, the world's billionaires are worth an estimated $11.4 trillion based on Forbes calculations using stock prices from Friday, December 11th. That's up 20% from collective wealth of $9.5 trillion on December 31st, 2019. America's billionaire class has had a smashing 2020. Altogether, the more than 600 U.S. billionaires are worth $4 trillion, a gain of $560 billion since the beginning of the year. Aided by record-breaking stock markets, the S&P 500, sitting near all-time highs, is up 13% this year despite the the March COVID crash. The Nasdaq is up 38%. No one in the world has had a better year than Elon Musk, 
whose fortune has grown an astonishing 110 billion this year to nearly 137 billion, making him the third richest person in the world. The surge came from the skyrocketing shares of Tesla Motors, which have ballooned at 630%. The that rise has been fueled by incredibly bullish investors and the fact that the electric car maker will be added to the SP500 index on December 21st. The world's richest person, Jeff Bezos, had the second best year. Bezos, who is worth $182 billion, has gotten $67.5 billion richer in 2020 thanks to rising Amazon stock. The online retailer has been cashing in on a world shopping from home. Chinese billionaires have profited the most this year. The report from Forbes goes on to state, while U.S. tycoons grab headlines for their increasing fortunes, Chinese billionaires as a group have actually gotten the richest this year in dollar terms. The country, which imposed heavy lockdown rules after the COVID-19 outbreak began, has bounced back in stunning fashion from its start as the epicenter of the pandemic. The CSI 300 Index, which tracks 300 of China's leading companies, is up 19% this year, helping Chinese billionaires add a total of $750 billion to their aggregate net worths in 2020. Altogether, the 400 Chinese billionaires are worth $2 trillion. That doesn't include the 67 Hong Kong billionaires whose fortunes rose a collective $60 billion to an aggregate of $380 billion. Billionaires in Brazil and Thailand have, have instead lost wealth. In Brazil, billionaires are $13 billion poorer, and in Thailand, billionaires are down by $6 billion. How unfortunate for, for them. <laughs> the Forbes report states that new billionaires have been born due to the pandemic. Quote, even in such a tumultuous year, new billionaires have sprung up as the pandemic has raged. That includes the fighter jet flying Jared Isaacman, Hollywood mogul Tyler Perry, three co-founders of delivery service DoorDash, and Stephanie Bansell, CEO of biotech firm Moderna, which is developing a COVID-19 vaccine, plus two of the company's investors. Glenn, would you like to go ahead and continue with our national news? Yeah, no problem. So first off in national news, hunger in America. Reports from around the nation have revealed that due to the economic downturn from the pandemic, citizens are resorting to shoplifting for their necessities. As of November, close to 26 million American adults, which is one in eight Americans, have reported that they would not have enough to eat. An article from the Washington Post reports that shoplifting is up markedly since the pandemic began in the spring and at higher levels than in past economic downturns. According to interviews with more than a dozen retailers, security experts, and police departments across the country, but what's distinctive about this trend, experts say, is what's being taken. More staples like bread, pasta, and baby formula. We're seeing an increase in low-impact crime, said Jeff Zisner, the chief executive of workplace security firm Aegis. It's not a whole lot of people going in, grabbing TVs and running out the front door. It's a very different kind of crime. It's people stealing consumables and items associated with children and babies. With Americans being advised to brace for a difficult winter amid skyrocketing coronavirus infection rates and the economic recovery nearly stalled, the near-term outlook is grim. More than 20 million Americans are on some form of unemployment assistance, and 12 million will run out of benefits the day after Christmas, unless new, which was yesterday, unless new relief materializes, which it has not, unfortunately. And 12 million will run out of benefits in the day after Christmas. And the lawmakers have made progress this week on a 908 billion bill, um, which 
didn't actually have any progress. <laughs> it was unfortunately blocked, even though it was pretty trash to begin with. Meanwhile, an estimated 54 million Americans will struggle with hunger this year, a 45% increase from 2019, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. With food aid programs like SNAP and WIC being reduced and other federal assistance on the brink of expiration, food banks and pantries are being inundated, reporting hours-long waits and lines that stretch into the thousands. Several federal food programs that have provided billions of dollars in fresh produce, dairy, and meat to U.S. food banks also are set to expire at the end of the year. The largest amongst them, the Farmers to Families Food Box, has provided more than 120 million food boxes during the pandemic and is already running out of funding in many parts of the country. The article goes on to state that retailers have historically been more most concerned in, about staff when it comes to what they call shrink. Workers are typically behind about a quarter of the 25 billion in global losses reported each year in category that includes lost merchandise, stolen cash, and employee errors, security experts say. That change with the pandemic as customer shoplifting became more pronounced, especially in areas with high joblessness, said Fabian Ebersch, chief executive of Compliant IA, which provides loss prevention software to retailers. There is a well-known historical correlation between unemployment and theft. He said a connection that is more entrenched in the United States than in countries with more robust safety nets like Canada and Australia. Moving on, next subject would be the vaccine real quick, reactions. If I could throw it in real quick. If you see shoplifting, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, shut the fuck up, cover for them, do something to make sure that people can get out of there and get their needs. Like, we ain't here to fucking police nobody. We're here to help folks out. And if you about that work, we need to fucking look out. Not just shut the fuck up, look the fuck out. Vaccine reactions. A report from the New York Times revealed that two healthcare workers in Alaska and two British citizens had adverse reactions to the Pfizer vaccine. The report states that the first worker, a middle aged woman, who had no history of allergies, had an anaphylactic reaction that began 10 minutes after receiving the vaccine at Bartlett Regional Hospital in Janu on Tuesday, a hospital official said. She experienced a rash over her face and torso, shortness of breath, and an elevated heart rate. Dr. Lindy Jones, the hospital's emergency department medical director, said the worker was first given a shot of epinephrine, uh, a standard treatment for severe allergic reactions, her symptoms subsided, but then reemerged, and she was treated with steroids and an epinephrine drip. When doctors tried to stop the drip, her symptoms reemerged yet again, so the woman was moved to the intensive care unit, observed throughout the night, then weaned off the drip early Wednesday morning, Dr. Jones said. Dr. Jones had said earlier Wednesday that the woman was set to be discharged in the evening, but the hospital said late Wednesday that she was remaining another night. The second worker received his shot on Wednesday and developed eye puffiness, lightheadedness, and a scratchy throat 10 minutes after the injection. The hospital said in a statement, he was taken to the emergency room and treated with epinephrine, Pepsid, and Benadryl. Although the hospital said the reaction was not considered anaphylaxis, the worker was back to normal within an hour and released. The hospital, which had administered 144 total doses as of Wednesday at night, said both workers did not want their experiences to have negative impact on others lining up for the vaccine. We have no plans to change our vaccine schedule, dosing, or regimen, Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer, said in a statement. The report goes on later to state that the Alaska woman's reaction was believed to be similar to the anaphylactic reactions two health workers in Britain experienced after receiving the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine last week. Like her, both recovered. Those cases are expected to come up on that Thursday when FDA scientists were scheduled to meet with agencies 
outside panel of experts to decide whether to recommend that regulators approve Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for emergency use. Although the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines are based on the same types of technology and similar in their ingredients, it is not clear whether an allergic reaction to one would occur with the other. Oh, uh, yeah. Both consist of genetic material called mRNA encased in a bubble of oily molecules called lipids, although they use different combinations of lipids. Dr. Olfitt said that in both vaccines, the bubbles are coated with a stabilizing molecule called polyethylene glycol that he considered a leading contender for triggering an allergic reaction. He stressed that the more investigation was needed. Pfizer's trial did not find any serious adverse events caused by the vaccine, although many participants did experience headaches, fevers, and other side effects. The Alaska reactions were soon to be related to the vaccine because they occurred so quickly after the shot. A Pfizer spokeswoman, Jerrica Pitts, said the company did not yet have all of the details of the Alaska situation, but was working with local health authorities. The vaccine comes with information warning that medical treatment should be available in case of a rare anaphylactic event, she said. We will closely monitor all reports suggestive of serious allergic reactions following the vaccination and update labeling language if needed. Ms. Pitts said, after the workers in Britain fell ill. Authorities therefore against giving the vaccines to anyone with a history of severe allergic reactions. They later clarified their concerns, changing the wording from severe allergic reactions to specify that the vaccine should not be given to anyone who has ever had an anaphylactic reaction to a food, medicine, or vaccine. That type of reaction to a vaccine is very rare, they said. Pfizer officials have said that the two British people who had the reaction had a history of severe allergies. One, a 49-year-old woman, had a history of egg allergies, and the other, a 40-year-old woman, had a history of allergies to several medications. Both carry EpiPen-like devices to inject themselves with epinephrine in case such a reaction were to occur. Pfizer has said that its vaccine does not contain egg ingredients. The British update also said that a third inpatient had a possible allergic reaction, but did not describe it. In the United States, federal regulators issued a broad authorization for the vaccine on that Friday to adults 16 years and older. Healthcare providers were warned not to give the vaccine to anyone with known history of severe allergic reaction to any component of the vaccine, which they said was a standard warning for vaccines. But because of the British cases, FDA officials have said they would prefer Pfizer to increase its monitoring of anaphylaxis and submit data on it once the vaccine comes into further use. Pfizer also said the vaccine was recommended to be administered in settings that have access to equipment to manage anaphylaxis. Last weekend, which would have actually probably been like two weeks ago, the CDC said people with serious allergies could be safely vaccinated with close monitoring for 30 minutes after receiving the shot. Individuals who experience adverse side effects from taking either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines will not be able to sue the companies, nor will they be compensated for damages. This is due to the fact that the government has granted both companies immunity from liability. The FDA also cannot be sued for authorizing the vaccine for emergency use due to what is called sovereign immunity. And employers that mandate that their employees take the vaccine can't be held accountable either. An article from CNBC reports that in February, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar invoked the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. The 2005 law empowers the HHS secretary to provide legal protection to companies making or distributing critical medical supplies, such as vaccines and treatments, unless there's willful misconduct by the company. The protection lasts until 2024. That means that for the next four years, these companies cannot be sued for money damages in court over injuries related to the administration or use of products to treat or protect against COVID. HHS did not respond to CNBC's request for an interview, and 
Dunn thinks a big reason for the unprecedented protection has to do with the expedited timeline. When the government said, we want you to develop this four or five times faster than you normally do, most likely the manufacturer said to the government, we want the government to protect us from multi-million dollar losses, said Dunn. The quickest vaccine ever developed was for mumps. It took four years and was licensed in 1967. Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine was developed and cleared for emergency use in eight months, a fact that has fueled public mistrust of the coronavirus inoculation in the U.S. Roughly four in 10 Americans say they would definitely or probably not get vaccinated, according to a recent survey by Pew Research Center. This is lower than it was two months ago. It still points to a huge trust gap. But drug makers like Pfizer continue to reassure the public no shortcuts were taken. This is a vaccine that was developed without cutting corners. CEO Dr. Albert Borla said in an interview with CNBC's Squawk Box on Monday, this is a vaccine that is getting approved by all authorities in the world. That should say something. The legal immunity granted to pharmaceutical companies doesn't just guard them against lawsuits. Dunn said it helps lower the cost of the immunizations. The government doesn't want people suing the companies making the Pfizer vaccine because then the manufacturers will probably charge the government a higher price per person per dose, Dunn explained. Pfizer and Moderna did not return CNBC's request for comment on their legal protections. Then we also have the U.S. House passes a $740 billion defense bill. Yeah, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the $740 billion defense policy bill, and Trump had threatened to veto against it. An article from Reuters reports that the vote was 335 to 78 in favor of the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, which, uh, with strong support from both Democrats and Republicans, a margin that would be large enough to overcome Trump's promised veto. Today, the House sent a strong bipartisan message to the American people. Our service members and our national security are more important than politics. Democratic Re Representative Adam Smith, chairman of the House of Armed Services Committee, said in a statement, the Senate is expected to vote on legislation this week. Backers hope Trump will reconsider his veto threat if it passes by a margin similar to one in the House. The NDAA says policy for the Pentagon on everything for how many ships and rifles to buy to soldiers pay to how best to address geopolitical threats. Lawmakers note with pride its passage for, for 59 straight years, which they cite as evidence of support for a strong defense. Trump has repeatedly threatened to veto this year's measure, first because of provision approved by both the Democratic-led House and Republican-led Senate to remove the names of Confederate generals from military bases. More recently, he has objected because the NDAA does not repeal Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which protects technology companies from, like Alphabet Incorporated, Google, Twitter Incorporated, and Facebook Incorporated from liability for what appears on their platforms. Without providing significant evidence, Trump and many of his supporters insist the tech companies have an anti-conservative bias, which they deny. I hope Republicans will veto against the very weak National Defense Authorization Act, which I will veto, Trump said on Twitter. Must include a termination of Section 230 for national security purposes, preserve our national monuments, and allow for 5G and troop trope reductions in foreign lands, he said, before reissuing his tweet to correct the spelling of troop from trope. Good old, but wait, good old there's more. So a few more COVID updates before we get away from the news. Fresh out the presses today, one of every 17 people in the U.S. has been infected and one in 1,000 has died. And yet the worst may lie ahead. From New York Times today, a significant number of Americans travel and uncounted gatherings took place as they will over the New Year holiday. And yeah, despite the people having their own bubbles and Zoom enhanced family gatherings. Much of the United States is playing it safe this Christmas for coronavirus. However, folks are still traveling about and spreading 
the virus around. According to the nation's top infectious disease expert, Anthony S. Fauci, which can mean new spikes in cases on top of the existing surge, we very well might see a post-seasonal in the sense of Christmas, New Year's, in the sense of a Christmas, New Year's surge. He said that on CNN State of the Union. We're really at a very critical point. If you put more pressure on the system, but what by what might be a post-seasonal surge because of the traveling and the likely congregating of people for the good, warm purposes of being together for the holidays. It's very tough for people not to do that. On Fox News Sunday, Brett P. Giroir, the administration's testing coordinator, noted that Thanksgiving travel did not lead to an increase of cases in all places, which suggested that many people heeded recommendations to wear masks and limit the size of gatherings. It really depends on what the travelers do when they Get where they're going, Admiral Greer said. We know the actual physical acts of traveling in airplanes, for example, can be quite safe because of the air purification systems. What we really worry about is the mingling of different bubbles once you get to your destination. Still, U.S. case numbers are about as high as they have ever been. Total infections surpassed 19 million on Saturday, meaning that at least one in 17 people have contracted the virus over the course of the pandemic. And the virus has killed more than 332,000 people, one in every thousand in the country. To add insult to injury with that figure, I'm going to jump over to some figures from the APM Research Lab from a, a series they've been running called The Color of Coronavirus, COVID-19 Deaths by Race and Ethnicity in the U.S. Their ongoing Color of Coronavirus project monitors how and where COVID-19 mortality is inequitably impacting certain communities to guide policy and community responses to the, these disproportionate deaths. The coronavirus has claimed more than 286,000 American lives through December 8th. So these figures are a little old here, but so now we're at 330,000. And as of the first week in December, one in 800 Black Americans have died of COVID and one in 750 Indigenous Americans. Black Americans reached the one in 1,000 figure back in September, far before all other Americans, unfortunately. So to get back to the APM Research Lab report. Yeah, basically, rates for COVID deaths have just steadily increased, and disproportionately amongst Black and Indigenous folks in all states from June up until December 8th, 2020. Just to note, the rates were not calculated when there were fewer than 15 deaths for a particular group. Rates for Indigenous and Pacific Islander residents can only be calculated for some states. Additionally, rates were not calculated for multiracial people nor those identified as other race. The nationwide rate for Pacific Islanders declined slightly between September 15 and October 13 due to the new inclusion of data for the state of Hawaii, which was not previously available in its calculation. Rates are only calculated for groups with 15 or more deaths. All intervals are two weeks apart. Data for September 1st, September 29th, October 27th, and November 24th has been interpolated. New Jersey's data contains irregularities in the latest four weeks, which we are investigating with the state. Users are cautioned that both estimates of deaths and rates graphed over time have slight idiosyncrasies, including occasional reductions. We capture data at a point in time after which provisional data sometimes get back gets back revised by states after review. Data for states that post only percentages are more prone to rounding errors as we have all had estimate deaths. So this report, this group, you can find them at apmresearchlab.org. They have a very long, thorough, and it has a system where you can search by state to see some of the numbers, but it's been very accurately tracking deaths by different ethnic groups. And 
Yeah, it's, it's disproportionately affecting, as, as we expected, the most marginalized folks in the country. And the final bit of COVID news that I just want to touch upon was that L.A. County is probing whether a new or contagious COVID strain is spreading locally. This is from Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles County scientists have begun to test samples of the coronavirus from local patients to determine if a new, potentially more contagious strain that is circulating in Britain has arrived, as some officials believe is likely amid a major surge of infections. The variant is a concern because it may make the virus easier to be transmitted from one person to another. Officials said, but once the person has the virus, the variant doesn't make appear to make the person more likely to die. LA County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer said a public health laboratory has begun to do gene sequencing to test virus samples collected in LA County, but it would take about a week to finish the process. COVID-19 has been surging out of control in Los Angeles County and other parts of California, overwhelming hospitals and killing more people each day. On Thursday of this week, LA County saw its highest number of COVID-19 deaths in a single day, 140. The spread has been so rapid since Thanksgiving when many families defy public health guidelines and gather in large groups that some have wondered if something about the virus has changed. Officials believe the surge has been worsened by holiday gatherings, but are also concerned about other factors, including people going out to shop. When I spoke with the State Department of Public Health, they indicated that they've been looking and didn't think they had seen the, the new strain. Ferrer told the Times in an interview, you have to know what you're looking for. So I think everyone at this point that's seeing what these kinds of surges is obviously looking to see, do we have that particular variant? LA Mayor Eric Garcetti said a new variant of the coronavirus could be a factor in the recent explosion of coronavirus cases, as well as other factors, including pandemic fatigue, holiday gatherings, and winter weather, which may be more conducive to transmission. This happened devastatingly quickly. Everybody I talked to said that this acceleration was beyond any model and any expectations. So then people say, what broke down? And I've got to think it's partly the strain that was out there, Garcetti said in an interview with the Times on Wednesday. A memo issued by the L.A. County Department of Public Health on Christmas Eve asked labs to review recent data from positive coronavirus tests to be on the lookout for specific genetic pattern, as well as unusual molecular patterns. Scientists are working to learn more about this variant to better understand how easily it might be transmitted and whether currently authorized vaccines will protect people against it. At this time, there is no evidence that the variant causes more severe illness or increased risk of death or that available vaccines will not be as effective, the memo said. Scientists have detected this new coronavirus strain in Europe and South Africa, a discovery that caused a number of countries around the world to announce bans on incoming flights from Britain. Awesome, so, yeah, awesome. That wraps yeah. up the national news. Thank you. Thank you for that, Glenn. Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a lot per usual. As always. Very, very sombering. But it's all good, y'all. You want to know why? Because Biden's in office. We straight. <clears throat> We're going to be fine. You know what I'm saying? We got a new president. It's towards the end of the year. You know what I'm saying? Everything's going to be good. We got a new administration coming. There are more diverse administration. So we're going to be straight. Oh, oh, and yeah, oh, so... More diverse set of capitalists or capitalist collaborators. The same, yeah. you know, they, they look a little different. Yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate that that data just shows what we've already known, that working class people in particular, Black, Indigenous, BIPOC people, we are just being just taken out by this fucking thing and the government's We're total, bearing a brunt of it, as usual. And the total... Twice the number. What'd you say, Tony? Per capita, Native Americans, the Indigenous Americans are dying at twice the rate. Oh, yeah. 
It's it's horrendous. Unfortunately, it's just an affirmation of what we have already known. And the government's, of course, totally fucking useless response. There's yet to be a stimulus check. Fucking Trump's whole drama about wanting to get people $2,000. And that's why he didn't sign this one, which is absurd to me. I saw something about whatever he did this week is going to hold up, like make people lose a week out on unemployment yeah. enhancements. Because it's already done since it's after Christmas. And mm-hmm. so he wanted to get people $2,000. Now, where was this fervor to get people $2,000 <laughs> months ago? I have no fucking clue. Any of these nine months. <laughs> I don't understand it. I have no it, idea. It's just fucked up how much on. they play these games with people's lives. Like, it's all just like shuffling the shells. And you just got to hope that maybe that motherfucker lift up and you get a little something. But... More often than not, they're fucking tossing the ball under the table or whatever, and it's just empty shells all around. (laughs) I just don't, I just don't understand, like, why now? It's the same thing with the administration trying to push through nine executions before he's gone. They took that, uh, I cannot remember his name right now, but the, the most recent execution of that young man, just a horrible, horrible thing. Of course, we know that the state has zero moral authority to take anyone's life especially not a fucking country that's built upon racist genocide. They're the last fucking... I, I just don't understand what the move is. I don't understand why he's doing this now. And, and and it just shows like how the Democratic Party loves to be cucked by the Republicans. At first, they wanted to give us $600, and Trump was like, no, $2,000. They were like, yes, sir, may we have another? Yeah, we'll try, we'll try to get in $2,000 for you, sir. It's fucking weird. I, I just... I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was... So I, I, I don't know. Of course, billionaires profiting off of this, profiting off of people's just fucking immiseration and death this year. Shout out to the Chinese billionaires. Shout out to the tankies. You know, their favorite country on earth. You know, their favorite <laughs> communist country on earth. You said China got the, the, the most communist number of billionaires. <laughs> yeah, communist number of billionaires. My bad, y'all. That was a little Freudian slip. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to show our tanky homies some love. It makes no sense, dog. It mean it makes absolutely no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, they, 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 on, they on a plan, man. They, they're working towards it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. He was also, what did he, he, like, pardoned 30 people or some shit? And it was all, like, just wild. He pardoned the Blackwater. Or, yeah, he pardoned the Blackwater mercenaries. Yeah, like such a wild ass fucking the greatest like illustration of that war overall was like the only people that got convicted were those lower level guys, but even they got away now. (laughs) It's just yeah, like actual like convicted war criminals, not just like the type of like hyperbolic like conjecture, but like legal definition of the term, like actual war criminals. (laughs) Like Yeah, it's fucking terrible. I was reading about how like like I forget if it was how many children, but like I know this one guy, because they were firing out like civilians and shit in the Middle East. And like this one dude, he had a 10 year old kid or like nine kid in the back seat, and they fired on the back of his SUV and he drove off. He thought they fucking made it. And then he gets out, opens the back seat, and his son's fucking brain falls out right in front Jesus of his feet. Like it was so fucking oh ridiculous. And that shit fucked me up when I read about that. And I'm just like, man, these motherfuckers are partnering? Like clearly, clearly they're signaling something. Like clearly, and then he says two thousand dollar checks. It's he's showing you who he is. Yet there's so many people that seem to fall for the bullshit, and it's it's just an absurdity. You want to do you? We should have had two thousand dollar checks monthly. 
But you can push through this bullshit as the defense policy bill, which is which I wanted to highlight for people is bipartisan. It's bipartisan. Okay, so all the fucking moderates and all the centrists can shut the fuck up because some of the worst things in American history have been bipartisan. Okay, I mean, it's all absurdity. Like I've been telling people, I just I don't know what else to say to people other than the state has to die. Like, I don't I don't know what else to tell people. And, and I'm not talking about some fucking we have to go through the process and have a dictatorship of the proletariat. No, no, no. Let's <laughs> just cut it out. We need mass revolts a gigantic ass general strike and just look we ain't producing no more of anything until you motherfuckers give us what the necessities that we need to live like end of story you know what i'm saying and, you I'm know like, honestly yeah. considering the, the material conditions that they've been weaving with all of the shit that they've been doing over the year it seems like they're asking for it if you ask me yeah they are they are they are yeah it's do y'all want do y'all want for working class people? Like, you know what? Okay. Oh, let's speaking of let's, speaking of working class people. Here's another one. It is the uh, I think Trump just passed some shit where basically bosses can now take the money from like service workers, uh, their tips, use that to pay what? the backstaff, like the dishwashers and the chefs and shit. So now even more money is being taken from service workers and being wow. distributed amongst the workers so the bosses don't have to come up with that kind of money themselves. They can just put that shit in their pocket, you know? Wow. So now everyone's a tip worker. Yeah, everyone's a tip worker now, yep. Restaurant industry. Wow. So the service workers ain't making tips, the dishwashers ain't getting, like, it's just fucked up. This that this 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 shit here is wild, bro. They they want us to revolt. They like it, it, once working class people are like, okay, you know what? No, we not doing this. We finna go get the toolies. We finna go get the. We finna go. I'm finna pull up with a stick to my fucking governor's mansion. You know what I'm saying? And you know what time it is. You know what time it is. So come outside. Yo, what's good, fam? I'm pulling up to Jeff Bezos's mansion. I'm pulling up to Obama's mansion. You know what time it is. I got the glizzy. You know what time it is. And niggas got extendos out here. What's good? We trying to eat, fam. Like, like I like like this year has just totally messed with my normally my non-violent principles. Now I'm just like big Nestor Machno energy. No, I'm pulling up. I'm pulling up. Give me your shit, fam. Cause this is I just can't, I just can't. It's just you have to look at the conditions on the ground. It's like sooner y'all are begging for people to show up and just look, bro. I need everything. Give me the money. You know what I'm saying? Make a wire transfer, something. Are you getting it? Right now. I need it all. It's crazy. It's crazy how many parallels to other obviously the the French Revolution is the the fall of every great, you know, empire has been like this, you know. They, the government just starts, they fumble. They, they completely start just fumbling around. And, and yep. you can see how weak the Democrats and the Republicans are. You can see how inadequate they are to lead a country. When they have 40 million starving, child hunger through the roof this year. And, and, and Nancy Pelosi, you know, I key in on Nancy Pelosi because the Republicans being evil is a constant talking point. But we, if we swing just a little bit, like, and, I, and I mean just a tiny bit left, and we analyze Nancy Pelosi. She says six hundred is enough. Six hundred is enough for yeah. That was an absurd. Yeah, that was absurd. Uh, you've been unemployed for ten months. Six hundred is enough. You know your children. They're gonna have appointments coming into the new year. They're gonna have dentist appointments. Six hundred is enough. And rent's been due for like I said ten. And <laughs> let's let's pull up. Man. What? 
you know what I'm saying? Like, what other? I don't know. Like, I don't know what else anymore. I don't know what other tactics other the than landlord be like, hey, you got that, that rent for the new year? Like, yeah, come to- <laughs> okay. There's a picture. There's a picture. Shout out, shout out to Minion Death Code because there's a picture and it said me stockpiling for when my landlord comes to collect after the moratorium is ended, bro. It was just a picture of just a bunch of fucking ammo. It was just hella crazy ammo. Like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I can't blame people, man. I don't, I just don't, I just don't know what else other than like mass labor strikes. I don't know what else. I don't know what else to, what else can people do? Cause the government is clearly like, they've shown that they just don't give a fuck. We're seeing the blatant failures of the quote unquote free market system. It's, it's nonsense. It, 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 it has no, ability no power to deal with this insanity that's been unleashed this year it's all a failure so i mean frankly he asked me like despite how difficult it is having to organize at six feet the only thing you really can do right now is like collectivize and expatriate as much as possible (laughs) just fuck it we gotta go in here and smash and grab and like i mean that in many different forms i'm saying that it symbolically of course um of course, of course. Nah, fuck, <laughs> fuck that, fuck that. I'm coming. I'm pulling up. Nah, get ball cut. Get ball cut. Get Actually, smash and grab. Oh, oh. No, but no, that's what I'm saying. Like we, like we're talking about with the fucking um, job listing and shit. We need to be moving in whatever way we have to survive at this point. Because fuck everything. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm getting. I am buying bolt cutters, non-electric, non the ones that don't conduct electricity what time it is when the revolution happens and all the rich people fit fence up their fucking mansions that are the size of a block and people need places to sleep you squatters rights you know what time it is you know what time it is you know what i'm saying you can go ahead and, and have your little private security force we got glizzies too you know what time it is <laughs> you know what i'm saying it all across america but I, like people expropriating houses like hey like families like we gonna live here and or have been living there and, and, and fight eviction with the help of the community seeds of it but like, like you said i just don't understand how it's not like foaming at the mouth yet like <laughs> pitchforks and torches maybe it's, that's just the power of indoctrination fam and like yeah, I don't want to say education. Like, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of factors. It's a bunch it, you know? of factors, like, yeah. Uh, animization, you know, we're all in our different fucking vacuums. Like, it's just... And if we yeah. just didn't value property the way that we do over human life, again, neoliberal indoctrination, if if we were like, if we were just like property and all this shit is just a means to an end or whatever, if we didn't value it the way we did, we man, we would have been... Motherfuckers would have been blowing shit up on some, you know what I'm saying? That shit would have been going on. I'm saying pure, pure Alexander Berkman energy pulling up on a fucking industrialist with the Glock. What's up? What's up? We need healthcare. Dog. Absolutely. We need healthcare. But beyond just that, I think we would have seen even more networks of people coming together to really support one another. I think this is also yeah. a factor is the pandemic, right? Folks are scared to even engage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's hard. Like I, I, a lot of more demonstration, a lot more organization, I think would have occurred and would continue to occur if we weren't in the midst of dying in the street from a fucking invisible threat. Absolutely. So we're going to switch up now. We're going to go to our main topic, which is we're, we're going to be talking about the pop left, which is why we have Comrade Sadie on. It's great to have them with us. 
yeah, it is awesome to have you on. Thank you. I mean, this is the the second time we've tried to record this because we had an unfortunate, you know, technical issue last time. But thank I you so much. The, the first was just to get was just to rant, I think. And now I feel <laughs> this is better because now that we had time to basically think about it and just like yeah deal with it, I think we'll be a lot more coherent. Yeah, rather than yeah. just saying. Fuck this person. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, sometimes it's good for that. Sometimes you need a bit of catharsis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can have a nuanced discussion and say fuck people for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's great to have you on again. Thank you so much. And so we want to talk about the pop left as we know it today on the internet. And before we get too into it, I was just curious. Do you still refer to it as the, what do you call it? The, the anti-woke singularity? Or, yeah. we, or have we transgressed that already? I think we should trans. It's a mouthful and pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Try saying that to someone who isn't on Twitter. No, absolutely. Right, right yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. It's the Breaking Bad meme where it's like, <laughs> Jesse, like Jesse, what the fuck are you talking about? It is a mouthful. So it's just funny. Fun. No, it's part, it is meme And that's the whole idea is like, I guess this is my way to like culture jam and mess with the way everyone exchanges information on the internet is through memes. So if you make something catchy like that, it'll spread. But the point is not the phrase itself but the idea behind it and basically i was referring to just a convergence along a handful of issues mainly opposition to black lives matter anti-police protests hostility toward abolish ice anti-fascism basically a bunch of conservative views and issues that people from all over the political spectrum, whether they're left, right, or center, will converge on as kind of like a bulwark against a rising oppositional anti-capitalist movement. Again, it's not like Illuminati, like cigar-chomping men in suits in a boardroom, like plotting this out. This is just the trend of what's happening here. So, but basically what the pop left is, is that just refers to the most mainstream and recognizable aspects of like of like anti-capitalist, socialist, radical social justice movements. So for example, Angela Davis and Noam Chomsky would be like classic examples of the old pop left. That's basically, you could ask any random person on the street and the chances are that if they've heard of any left-wing person, it's one of these people. So that's basically what it means. It's what the left is represented in the mainstream, regardless of its material connection to an actual street movement. This is totally just like spectacle-based. So, like, this is a historical phenomenon as well. As long as there's been, like, mass media, there's been, like, popular and, like, tokenized representations. So, like, everyone knows about the Che Guevara t-shirt. That would be, like, a pop left icon example. But what differs today is the medium, the internet, mainly social media, especially. Right, right. Because there was an internet in the Bush era, too, but there was a pop left and stuff then, but it wasn't like this. So I guess classic back in the day, 60s, like popular figures would be like uh, Angela Davis or like Huey Newton or like any of the Black Panther leaders or like the, that visible face. And these are charismatic people. They like, have debates and nuanced and like divisive and people love them, hate them, all this type of stuff. Malcolm X, Dr. King. Yeah, Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're like now we have Vosh V and like Peter yeah. Coffin <laughs> right. and yeah. like... Yeah. The like Jimmy Dore and, and you know it's, it's very sad. Yo, that shit went downhill quick. It went downhill quick. I'm just oh, saying. Whereas, like those are in terms of like actual, those are movement figures 
of the 60s and they actually did stuff regardless of the critiques and good and the good and bad that they did where it's like this new pop left is just like a total husk devoid of any type of i guess i don't know respectability because it's like it's not connected to the street movement and that's what i think is very different this time around is that it really is just a spectacle of a spectacle so it's like that many layers removed from like actual material organizing and i think that's what makes it different it's also driven this was true back then as it is now in terms of like 15 minutes of fame and like clout chasing but the rise of stuff like patreon and like subscription-based models for like fundraising it's created like a new political economy in terms of the media sphere where you're basically creating an audience and your audience is your lifeblood because they're literally paying you and you end up catering to their needs or whatever will get you the most like clicks likes patrons subscribers they don't even have to necessarily agree with you or share your viewpoints the point is just to get people to subscribe so you say provocative outlandish things uh and it's like a race to the bottom in the discourse to get people to say the most provocative stuff to get clout and recognition so we have a bunch of people operating off of the spirit bond model yeah yeah um, uh, yeah yeah and, and so just to review this so basically like the popular left is like the pop left is the more media savvy left the the left that everyone is aware of because they're in the media uh, chomsky and such and like, if you if easy if you ask like chris hayes or rachel maddow right right it's like name a leftist whoever the name is going to be pop left because that's the adjacent that's their knowledge of it it's they might have yeah, some like knowledge of, they might have some knowledge of some someone obscure down the ladder but like the point is that like they're within this realm of this larger media network. Right. Like manufacturing consent and all that type of thing. You know, it's, it's the same type of deal, but just on a lower level where yeah. like Chomsky talked about like mainstream media and the entire apparatus of it, where this is just like a, a couple of rungs lower, but it's still the same. Yeah. All our information is still fed through the same sources. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting about what you're saying is that those older pop left figures were actually connected to larger movements and, and organizations and groups mm -hmm. on the ground. Whereas now today, the sort of pop left of today that has emerged with the internet, and we're kind of getting to this later about the figure of the grifter, right? And that sort of phenomenon, but like the pop left of today, so we could talk about independent news shows or podcasts like the Majority Report, The Young Turks, or publications like Jacobin or like a current affairs or, mm -hmm. you know, podcast, Chopo, Trap House, Red Scare. These are, and, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And just to like clarify that it's like the, well, everything you just listed right there is classified. I would classify as pop left, but that doesn't necessarily right. mean that everything in the pop left is bad. That all that every right. figure who's associated in these circles is like a bad person or has a nefarious agenda or is like responsible for this, that, or the other thing. It's just a class relationship. It's like, you are in that. It is conducive to certain bad elements, which we will talk about and focus yeah. on. But being within this media circle, you know, like Majority Report, for example, I think most of those people are fine. Yeah, yeah. My, I don't share the same politics or views or strategies or whatever, but like, they're not like reactionary people and they've shown right. themselves that they do have a sense of what's going on within their own circles. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. kind of how I got it. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's something that maybe if you can go into a little bit, because we want to particularly talk about why leftists such as ourselves and, and why leftists who are on the ground, a part of actual movements and stuff like that, should be aware of the pop left and what are the nefarious elements of the pop left, right? Because like you said, not all of the figures or people associated with the pop left or who go onto these shows and these platforms are necessarily bad, right? But it seems to me that you can, it's like a mixture of good and bad. You know what I'm saying? You have good left ideas and you have bad left ideas. You have people platforming Cornell West while simultaneously platforming Zizek. And if you paid attention to any of Zizek's stuff, you know that Zizek has some weird views on race and mm -hmm. some anti-immigrant stances. And of course, great figures such as Cornell West, although we would have some critiques of some of his stances in terms of supporting ADOS and such. So he was, I think Cornell West is a good example of someone who just doesn't, he's in his world of what he does in terms of, right. I don't even know if that's still academia anymore. I have no idea, but I guess that, whatever Tavis Smiley's circle of friends is, right, I guess. Right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's yeah. basically what Cornell West has been doing. Yeah. So he's within that world, so he's not really connected to things. Like, I'd, RCP is a good example of of, of like the old Bush era pop left, as well as the more recent Occupy pop left. The Revolutionary mm. Communist Party, which founded like refused fascism, and which Cornell West is like always at events and stuff with. And that's just because they're good at marketing and tapping into the mainstream. And that's how Cornell West found out about him. So that's why mm. he mm. does what he does and he associates with who he associates. But again, it's like the extent to which he himself is aware of this, is, I don't not at all. Mm. I don't think yeah. so. Other people, yeah, other people are. On the topic of ADOS and stuff, what's her face? Yvette. Yvette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cornell, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I got to stop calling people by their, their Twitter handles. It just, hey, <laughs> I was like, Bre Breaking Brown. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's <laughs> a, is that a person's name? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they're like people like that, like these figureheads, they're very much aware of what they're doing. I think it's, it is, it's nefarious in a sense of like attaching yourself to pop left figures. So another example would be Chomsky himself was problematic, things he supported and stuff, but him getting onto the Harper's letter is an example of they, yeah. they just they put something in his face and he signed it. That's pretty yeah. much what it and yeah, it's that, that type would, of thing yeah. of like the reason why it's dangerous is because it's in a process of normalization. If these like respectable type progressive media figures are like going along with this, then it basically launders these more like reactionary and conservative elements, you know? So, um, right, right. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah, always. Go Sorry, ahead, Demetrius. Oh, I was just going to say, I wanted to speak to that point, too, because that's what I feel like is a little innocuous about it, a little, what's the word? It's that there's a movie, Insidious, about it. It seems, like you said, it's there's a laundering effect, right? They'll have, oh, Chomsky, oh, fucking Cornell West, oh, you know, I don't know, Margaret Kimberly or somebody like that yeah, yeah. On, on one of these platforms. And then they're bringing on a Caleb Maupin or some shit, you know, or someone who's like, maybe that's a little extreme, but like maybe someone who's adjacent yes. to some realm. Yeah. I think like, what was it? Glenn Greenwald. Well, I think you tweeted. Yes. It was like, Glenn, you got to listen to Red Scare or some shit, Greenwald. <laughs> and it's yeah, just yeah, no, but it, that's, still, that's what's ridiculous. It's like this, this dude was doing like MSNBC interviews, writing for Salon Magazine. He broke with the biggest national security story of the decade. And yeah, like now he's boosting this weird, like basically right wing hipster podcast. Yes, from yeah. like, Glenn Greenwald boosting Red Scare. Like, what the fuck is going on? 
Excuse my language, but like I mean, what the fuck is going on? No, no, I mean, no, and that's the language you see. It's appropriate, yeah, because you see figures mm-hmm. like you'll see somebody, they make the rounds. So mm-hmm. oh one minute they're on Chopper, the next minute this particular figure, now they're on inter- now they're on the intercept shit. Next thing you know, they're on fucking Katie Helper. So I would like to point uh, Katie Helper is a I guess like a hub or like a centrifuge of a lot of this stuff. She brings in a lot of different people. She's basically like the center of the pop left in terms of all these different types of people with different perspectives and views and whatever coming on her platform. And she basically just serves a role as a platform. She doesn't ask any questions, really. She just nods along, no matter who, no matter who's speaking. And even if she agrees, doesn't agree with them or whatever. She's just Dave Rubin style, baby. Dave, yeah, yeah. that's the good old fashioned <laughs> Dave, Dave Rubin yeah, yeah. style interview. So, so Katie Helper will have on both like Matt Stoller and someone who hates Matt Stoller, like Max Blumenthal, and like just have these people on together. And it's like... Yeah, that was crazy. It's the whole... And the thing is, they're all on for the same points. They all are on to converge around the same points. The same way that Tucker Carlson will have on everyone from Greenwald to like, you know, the crazy, the most recent crazy Republican senator, whoever, you know, like the whole point is to converge along a set of points and just be like, oh, here's someone from a different perspective who agrees on this. Here's another person. Look at the diversity of the people that support this one position. That one position happening to be like something fascist or like right-wing or authoritarian, you know, so... I did, I did want to jump in. I wanted to ask a question based on what we've, what we've been discussing. So from what I've gathered from the conversation, it's a varying, a varying, you know, group of people with, with varying means and motives that we're discussing here. And that some of the more Katie Halper, you, you just mentioned her, she's attempting to manufacture consent. Purposely is what you're saying? Like you, you, you no, 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 no. I'm using her. She's in the center. I would. I basically, as far as like a, I'm concerned, I, I, I think. How edgy can I get on this podcast? <laughs> I, I, edge it I up. Edge it up. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think she's dumber. Than, I think she's dumber than a bag of hammers. To be honest, you know. Here we go. Shit. But that's not like nefariousness. That's just like her is who she is and i think she which her purpose is she just serves as a platform for whoever right. to get because she has followers and viewership Very so people go on her show so people go on her show to get normalized you know there are nefarious people i'd say or not even nefarious but just like bad people that shouldn't be on so matt stoller shouldn't be on because first of all he's not even progressive like that guy is like a libertarian center right or yeah, whatever yeah like, yeah you know, yeah so why is he even in these circles? Who in Katie Helper's audience wants to actually hear Matt Stoller's opinion? Now, in, in terms of like... Max, Max like Blumenthal and Ben Norton should not be on there. Good, yes, the great, Matt, they should now, not, that's absurd. For different, for different reasons. Yeah, for different reasons. They're a different kind of bad. We're, like Matt Stoller is like just a classic centrist dipshit. Like Max yeah, Blumenthal yeah. and Ben Norton are like nefariously left adjacent, you know? Yet they platform and they push right-wing conspiracy theories, whether it be like Soros money involved in like regime change operations or whatever, or just like cultivating an audience of anti-Semites and just white supremacists and like type of third position type thinking. Jimmy Dore is another example. And this is what caused the kerfuffle a whole week ago with Jimmy Dore's whole publicity stunt with the 
forcing them to vote on Medicare for all. He's a big fan of Tulsi Gabbard, and like Tulsi Gabbard's a reactionary. Do we have to explain all that, or have you talked about her in the past in your show? Or oh, uh, we we haven't, but everyone yeah, follows Tulsi Gabbard, you know, former. Tulsi presidential candidate but she's a, a transphobe and a she supports every dictator yeah. she, she's more than a tanky because like tanky tankies will be very campused so they won't support like they won't support israel or india but mm-hmm. gabbard supports like every, she's like uniformly pro-tyrant so like pro-dictator for our audience could you actually give us like a quick rundown of some, oh. some of that oh okay so she served in iraq as a soldier so she, she's a veteran of iraq wars and she's also somehow spun that into a vague anti-war position of being like you're you know years later obviously mm-hmm. of being like invasion of iraq was wrong yada 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 but she supports the invasion of afghanistan in fact she's very pro-war on terror to like an islamophobic degree and that's yeah. part of that's because she's part of the the hindu nationalist cult which kind of mm-hmm. is basically which has basically been financing her, and that's why she's been able to be relevant. And, you know, that again gets into the class element of how, why this is a pop left and how they're able to be mm-hmm. in the spotlight. Right. Someone is, someone with the whack, someone with the fringe connections that Tulsi has would never have been able to be in that spotlight so consistently without people backing her, throwing money at her to just keep going. So, and she supports Bashar al Assad in the Syrian civil war. She supports Modi of India. Yeah. She, yeah, she's she's terrible. Na- name a head of state who is problematic <laughs> and like she, you she know. Does she talk about She I, might. Yeah, I think she pretty. I mean, and it's it's yeah, been damn. getting clearer recently too that she was supporting Donald Trump too. And basically, what oh. that, this is what like the whole weird thing in terms of the primaries was is that so people like Jimmy Dore and stuff have attached themselves to the Bernie Sanders campaign. Yet, yeah. Yeah. They clearly supported Tulsi, and Tulsi right. was clearly like a rival. And like all that spectacle bullshit during the primaries between Warren and Bernie voters, and like Warren spoiling Bernie. Is, I was more focused on the right wing of I think Tulsi's spoiling Bernie because there's a lot of basically like secret Tulsi fans cosplaying as Bernie support. Mm-hmm. And I think that became more clear with this Jimmy Dore thing the past week, whereas basically you see a split in the pop left right now between these. Not that I agree with basically any side of it, because, again, I'm approaching this as an outsider, just seeing this stuff develop. I've been on the periphery of this stuff. I've done podcasting. I've met some of these people. But, you know, I'm much an outsider to this clique because I don't have the same financial incentives and, like, social incentives to be connected with these people. But you see a split. Again, I think it's all spectacle bullshit, but it's like Ben Dixon versus Brianna Gray. Over mm-hmm. the issue of yeah, should we yeah. support Jimmy Dore? And it's just like <laughs> that's that's it. And what's what 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 makes people like Max Blumenthal and Jimmy Dore nefarious is that so Max brought Jimmy on to his show to just basically badmouth people. They basically just want to cancel people like Ben Dixon and uh, yeah, all the others. Not for just be not for being like a sellout or dem adjacent or whatever, but just because they won't conform to their their narrative or like reaffirm the power of their like group of friends in that click. It's um, yeah, basically like, yeah, yeah. it's like you won't, def- it's like you, you're saying Jimmy Dore is a bad person and I will not stand for that. Like that type of shit. He doesn't sit with us at lunch. So fuck yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what it is. They tried to cancel Jamie Peck for the same reason of majority report and uh, Antifada because she also called out Jimmy Dore's bullshit. And they're basically saying she's a fake progressive. And it's the first of all, half of it, like, 
Jamie Pet's funny because she's part of DSA and she's actually more like socialist minded. And she's, I don't even identify as a progressive, I'm left wing. So even people who had takes on this are like, don't, it, so basically, basically what it was is just the whole Jimmy Dore thing was just a publicity stunt to signify to people within the clique who's, who can sit with us at lunch and who can't pretty much. That's pretty much what it was. It's really interesting. Yeah. So um, it seems from what you're saying to me, it sounds like there's basically an effort to consolidate. Because if you ask me based off of what I've seen, just also being on the periphery of like all oh, this leftist shit, like and it ties in with a lot of these folks' principles and their, you know, their ideology, I would say as well. They want to centralize power. They want to centralize yeah, yeah, their yeah, media yeah, 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 and get yeah. like, you know, they want to be the left media, right? They don't want there to be a decentralized yeah, yeah. left media as there is currently. And they, so now they're trying to basically, in a way, virtual signal and like, like you said, basically put their feelers out for right, who's going to be on board, what, what we're proposing, mm-hmm. and who can we ostracize, atomize, and isolate away from their fan base so that we can pull them to our media sphere is what i'm mm-hmm. noticing yeah that's basically what it is and again it, there's a lot there's a lot of signifiers now like whether it's like tulsi gabbard standing or like people who are obsessed with free assange and just like, like weird niche issues that seem like they're on the periphery of like other left-wing social justice issues but just like the fan base and like the culty mentality that coalesces around them you know what i mean yeah so, yeah yeah like the stupid, like the stupid poll, Reddit, you know what I'm saying, shit for Chapo. And Sadie, can you go into this a little bit? Because you were talking about this sort of unique, like how it feeds. And this is that sort of psychological dynamic that I think you're talking about, right? It's like the spectacle, like how the output of it all is like a spectacle that garners people more capital because they have a fandom and shit like that. And there's a sort of unique, like, political economy that has arisen around this and and i know you're saying you have a sort of a class analysis of it can you talk about like how like capital how capital really is a big issue you know what i'm saying because you have someone like jimmy Dore, you basically have a bunch of leftists and socialists who are fucking like millionaires or who make thousands of dollars going back and forth with each other about the revolution it's insane yeah so jimmy Dore is he's a multi-millionaire he bought a $2 million house in LA recently. Max Blumenthal is the son of Clinton advisor, Sidney Blumenthal, who was himself like a legacy journalist and like upper crust guy. Oh, wow. Well, I did so, not like, know that. Holy shit. Yeah. So yeah, like, the, like Max Blumenthal is like DC Beltway royalty. Like he is Ooh. talk about drain the fucking swamp. Like he came from the fucking swamp. So <laughs> Yeah, so that that's an aspect of it where they got platforms initially because they were able to pump money into it because they already had capital from just coming from certain backgrounds. Mm-hmm. That's why Jimmy Dore has X number of followers already before anyone had even heard of him. And I'm talking like years before because like you just pump money into that stuff as well as the patronage networks that you can develop. And I, that's very important in Max and Gray Zone's case. It's why they're able to say what they say and be a thorn in the side of like a liberal establishment and not really get penalized for it because they have patronage networks set up to protect them. People tried suing him for defamation and like Daddy Blumenthal comes in knocking with a lawyer. So yeah. So already off the bat, it's bourgeoisie. Now 
to examine like the lower rungs of it, like what about these grifter class, like these people that right, right. you know, yeah, they're not like rich or like bourgeois or like upper crust, but like they came into this, got a platform to themselves, now doing pretty good for themselves, and like basically grifting off of like people, basically like selling their opinions to to people who want. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. hit that. They hit yeah. that niche grift market. Yeah, yeah. So I guess to be the lower like. Even in the case of the most popular one, Chapo Trap House, still the bourgeois elements apply there. Will Menneker is the son of a famous New Yorker magazine writer, Daniel Menneker, top-tier journalist. Naturally. Yeah. Guy who, or not journalist, fiction, I think, or, or within that realm. He knows a lot of literary type people that world, that weird, like, New York writer world. Yeah, yeah. So Menneker is actually a millionaire. He has been from birth. So again, they got their Jesus podcast big because Christ, they got their podcast big because they're connected. They're connected to because their dad has connections to media people, and they that's how they get interviews with the New York Times and able to grow their brand and even create the spectacle of controversy around them. That's Megan McCain. That's Megan McCain energy, boy. My father, yeah, my father, yeah. my father, my father, my father, my father. So <laughs> now they start that stuff. Now Peter Coffin, Vosh V, the the shoe on head girl i mean she's like she's my age so <laughs> excuse me all these different types of all these like, just, other, just to clarify these lower, you're, yeah, all these lower you're talking about bread too like bread yeah, yeah. tube like and in the low society low society podcast yeah low, all the other podcasts like even the other podcasts street fight struggle sesh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all that stuff true anon and red scare which we'll talk about as like at the conservative end but just in general so those are all lower tier and they basically, some of them have the same, some of them come from bougie backgrounds, others not so much, but basically the the incentive here is when you you cultivate an audience around, first of all, it's a social media environment that's driven by outrage and like the topic of the day type of thing. So Twitter itself is constructed to be like eternally present. That's always what's going on. It's always the feeling you have. It's always within the present. There's no conception of the past or the future or discussions of such it's the way that twitter operates is just this is what's happening now in right here and now so in order to keep people's attention you always got to break that hold you know to get people's attention to be like what's the most outrageous controversial thing that will get clicks so if you have an environment that caters to that and you tie it to a subscription model like patreon you can actually cultivate an audience where it creates a feedback loop where like the audience wants more crazy content and you keep saying the most ridiculous stuff to get more people. And then suddenly it gets to a critical mass where people that don't even like you start following you <laughs> just for the entertainment value. So there's basically a financial incentive to kind of appeal to the lowest common denominator, whether that's like a, like a right winger being reactionary, saying offensive stuff, or like a conspiracy theorist giving some like mysterious theory that, that people could entertain to just basic misinformation in this info to just creating like these drama spectacles that we see even even in terms of how the haters play into it and i'm putting myself in that as someone who hates hates these people uh, but even the, the the dynamic with invoking outrage from people and then having them respond and then having it just dogpile and like it's discourse that goes on for days all of that's part of the same game and spectacle because Regardless and, of and, and so, if, I, example, if I can ju- it, it, just it, jump in real quick here, you see that with the sort of bread tube low society people, because and fucking I'm just going to say it because fuck them. Peter Coffin 
and Angie speaks, that's their bread and butter mm-hmm. is the anger is they yeah. say these absurd and ridiculous takes. Right. And then it gives them content to make podcasts on, to make hour and a half videos. Oh, I'm being canceled. Here comes the vampire castle left. And they love, this is another thing. They love Mark Fisher, right? They love Mark Fisher. The only great political essay that's ever been written is fucking the vampire castle, right? They love Mark Fisher, but they don't understand Mark Fisher. (laughs) At all. At all. Uh, These are the same people that decry weirdness and be like, we're normal people. Fuck the weirdos. And they're standing the guy who literally wrote Acid Communism and talked about how communism is weird and we should all try to, like, get to that weird part of ourselves. So it's like, (laughs) yeah, he also had a weird essay about vampire castles. And again, I'll get to that in terms of, you know, this is how it's a good way to deconstruct it is to give some, not giving them legitimacy, but I understand I understand how people approach, like, are, like, taken aback by the vulgarization of identity politics or the way that, like, they're harnessed or the oppression Olympics games people play to put each other down and that type of thing. I understand Mm -hmm. those dynamics. And that's stuff that's talked about, that's been talked about for years within, internally, within these activist circles as, like, a real discussion because these are dynamics that we've been aware of and are problematic and that just get exacerbated with, the dogpile harassment nature that is social media. But they frame it as this like end all be all thing where it's there's the identity politics people and there's the anti identity politics people. And it's they frame it as this like nefarious agenda to like, it, it's, it sounds like it's basically a mirror of the IDW, the intellectual dark web type mentality of like obsessing over critical race theory and like cultural yes. Marxism. It's, it's basically yes. a, when they talk about like wokeness or identity politics, what they, it's basically a buzz, another buzzword for cultural Marxism, which is hilarious. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that's like a very obvious right wing dog whistle. Yeah. And that's what I find fascinating is because that position leads them to something as harmful as class reductionism. I mean, Angie Speaks yeah. essentially has a fucking video on class reductionism in which and in that video, she totally distorts and misrepresents the history of black feminist intersectional thought. And if you can speak to this too, that's where these sort of the, like you said, the lower tier of the pop left, the the low society types, the red scare types, that more vulgar, you know what I'm saying? The dirtbag left shit. Yeah, that's where it intersects with the real like red brown like novel. Yeah, so so you have these red scare figures who like red scare figures or people like, you know, blatant red fash garbage like Amy Therese and that sort of low grade interacting with, like we were talking about before, like with Mike Enoch, with the Uh Eric Stryker. Can can you talk about that that dynamic? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it was good talking about like Bread Tube, Peter Coffin and Angie Speaks are on just like a, a lower tier type of thing. They're influencers or the most dangerous and I guess reactionary part of this whole circle would be what I would call like the Angela Nagel dirtbag left. And these are people that are influenced by Angela Nagel. So basically the political philosophy she has is like socially conservative, fiscally liberal, Herrenvolk, social democracy. Mm. Like Norway's good. Sweden's good precisely because it's like white homogenous welfare state. (laughs) Like like that's the type of mentality they take. 
there's a strand of this in the UK and as well as like Canada and Australia that hasn't been prevalent because we don't have a labor movement or the same like history of establishing right. that. But in the UK, they have blue labor, which is basically like the pro-Tory wing of the Labour Party, socially conservative, fiscally liberal. So they want a welfare state, but keep out the immigrants and like fuck trans people and all that stuff. Blue Labour has actually got a voice with a former Marxist magazine called Spiked, which goes by Spiked Online, which is also red-brown and the same type of deal. They came out of a party called Living Marxism, and they actually got sued in the 90s for doing Milosevic apologism. Or not just apologism, like strip defending, like saying like wow. Bosnia genocide good is basically what they Whoa. were saying. Yeah, yeah. So, Holy shit. Yeah, so they're, they're pretty bad. And, you know, Amber Frost of Chapo Trap House and Anna Kachian of Red Scare did an interview with them called Meet the Anti-Woke Left. They did it in 2019. <laughs> so, yeah, so you can start to see... Holy shit! The, like, they, they literally went on to, like, this British fascist magazine. To do so, yeah. So the way that the, the American right wing comes into contact with it. So Mike Enoch and Eric Stryker are pretty much, like, the early people to do right wing podcasting, as it's known today. So 2013, Mike Enoch started The Daily Showah which was like a neo-Nazi response to The Daily Show, Shoah as the Holocaust. They started off with libertarian circles and getting that crowd, like the Ron Paul types, but quickly veered to white supremacy and just kind of cultivated that right-wing base audience for the past few years until Trump kind of like shot them to like a little semi-celebrity status. So Mike Enoch and Eric Stryker are probably like the most well-known examples of like right-wing podcaster figures, as in neo-Nazi type podcaster figures. Other one being Andrew Anglin, who runs the Daily Stormer website. Enoch, no, what's interesting about Enoch and Stryker, particularly Eric Stryker, is that he identifies as a national Bolshevik, as, like mixing aesthetics of Nazi Germany with Soviet Union. Yeah, and he, had, yeah. he, he identifies as a communist as well as a fascist. Like He identifies as both. And this has actually gotten him ostracized within the alt-right because of that. So they're seen as like the hipster dirtbag version of the Nazis in that regard, because their own side mistrusts them too because of their affinity with like vulgar anti-capitalist aesthetics. But they've been hyping trying to get the, the Bernie, what they say, uniting the Bernie bros with the, the MAGAs is basically what yeah, yeah, they the, wanted to the do. National so, Justice Party, yeah, the, National the National Justice Party program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, recommend, I recommend a great anti-fascist podcast for our listeners to check out is I Don't Speak German with, I believe, Daniel Harper and Jack Graham, and they have a great two-parter. They have multiple episodes on Mike Enoch, Eric Stryker, that whole mm -hmm. network, but they just did a, two great episodes on the National Justice Party. And yeah, that, that's essentially what they're trying to do is lure in this sort of vulgar left, the dirtbag left types who are disenfranchised and into with this sort of like third positionist yeah, sort of sort of program. So, so Amy Teresa, who she's affiliated with a, a podcast called What's Left, as well as within the Red Scare network. True Anon is another adjacent one. Basically, what I, what I lump these together because what they all have in common is they've all defended Amy Theresa at one point or another. So that's basically the way, when I say they're friends, I don't mean that's like actually, I don't mean actually friends because like Amy Theresa lives in Australia and there's no way they could actually hang out physically yeah, yeah. 
with all these people that live in Brooklyn and LA and whatnot. But in terms of like, they know, like they're within that circle. Ima Teresa appeals very hard to like the Groiper Pepe tendency. She's big into the memes, growing. Much of her fan base comes from 4chan, fans of the Come Town podcast with Nick Mullen and Adam Friedland, which is like a offensive. It's not even a political podcast. It's just like an offensive yeah, podcast. It's, yeah, it's just gross comedian. It's just an, and, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's like it's opian, it's millennial opian Anthony. Opian Anthony. Yeah. So the closest analogy from Amy Teresa on the right would be Nick Fuentes, who is a young white nationalist. His fame is basically trolling the moderate elements of the MAGA movement. So moderate conservatives like Ben Shapiro and Charlie Kirk, basically trolling them for not being white nationalist enough or appealing to like explicit like white identity politics or like white nationalism. And he founded the Groiper movement, which is based off the, the Internet frogs basically coding them as white supremacist. And that fan base is also has a fan base overlap with Amy Teresa. So that's basically, this is basically where the red and the brown are meeting at this point within the podcast circles is through her, which is why she was... That's crazy. That's why she was basically turned into this pariah figure by a lot of anti-fascists and people. I personally would not have liked to have spent so much time on her because I think the point was made as soon as you show people the first tweet of her saying something racist so it's like but the reason being is because she was like a focal point so eric striker has been very friendly with amy Teresa, and they're i think they're mutuals eric striker gets banned a lot because he's a nazi so but they always oh, end God. every new account he gets always ended up being mutuals he is I, I don't know if respect is the right word but he's with it he gets he has takes that are boosted within those circles. So it's like you have people that are fans of Amy Teresa and Red Scare that just openly boost like a neo Nazi's takes just because like he vaguely calls himself socialist or something. It's pretty bizarre. And just to maybe bring it back to the sort of Katie Helper side of things, <laughs> this is where this stuff that's the insidious nature of it, right? Is it seems like things are getting pushed further and further right. Yeah, because, for example, I remember the whole thing with Adolf Reed, race and class scholar or whatever, mm -hmm. being on Katie Helper's show and admitting that he was contacted by Nazis to write for their publication. Now, if you're an actual leftist and I got into a, a back and forth with this philosopher and sort of, uh, you know, another one of these online, like political pundits, Ben Burgess, I interviewed him uh, once, yeah. but we had a bit of a back and forth because he's Adolf Reed, Stan and whatnot. Adolf Reed was also on a lot on TNBS, David Brooks's show, May He Rest in Love, but he was all in that sphere. And because I made a stance, I was like, look, like, how can you be a leftist? How can you be a socialist of any kind? I would never be contacted by white fascists to write for their publication. So there is something about your politics or your political stances, your philosophical stances that resonates with them. That is a problem. Now, the claim that I made was that that's some red brown shit. And that's when Burgess and Helper also jumped into it a bit as well. And, you know, essentially gaslit me, essentially gaslit yeah. me. I shouldn't have even spent the amount of time even engaging yeah, with them. But... Of... These people are very adverse to the F word. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They're adverse to the R-word, too. Racist. Not the other one. Yeah. They love the other R-word. <laughs> but, yeah. but they're adverse to the words fascist and racist. And this, you can't say the you can't say these things that are just basically right. a very easy way. It's like, it would save you so much time. It's like, I just call them a fascist. It's just so much time than being like, they're anti-gay, they're anti-trans, they're anti-black, they're anti they hate all these people. <laughs> and and what's funny about it, I mean, I got I even had a back and forth with a comrade of mine who's like, oh, he's technically not red brown. But then that same comrade, yeah. he hit me back and he was like, yo, check this out. And I saw that Adolph Reed was on Amy Teresa's fucking podcast. And I'm like, so yeah. I was right the whole time. And that to me is the danger is every this stuff is it's it's pushing right. This, it's pushing, I, I it's, 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 it's pushing it's us good. further right, you know? I think it's, it's very good you bring up the Reed thing because that I think that was supposed to be a learning moment for these people because Adolf, this is a point at which Adolf Reed, obviously we come at it harder because we've been telling him to cut this shit out for years and then he finally did it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the yeah, thing yeah. that kind of blew up and created controversy and it's just, you know, like I, I applauded him obviously, but also it shows that you're fucking up when a Nazi's paying you, but thank you for exposing it. And it's weird, like Katie Halper, everyone like, how Carl Bayer with Jacobin and like all these Jacobin type figures, everyone espoused it yeah. and paraded it around and be like, ah, see, he owns the Amy Teresa crowd. And it's really weird because it's y'all defend that crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's just, it comes this time. They, they of, won't even acknowledge class reductionism. Dude, they won't even acknowledge class reductionism. They draw these weird lines. And, and again, this is also part of the reason why I think a lot of focus on Amy maybe backfired in a way because it's like, you started getting people trying to cancel her and reject her, not for her politics, but just because of her personality. Because not only is she a fascist, she's also like a huge asshole. So she attacks everybody. She attacks Ben Burgess and she attacks even the people that we attack, but from, from the opposite side. We're attacking them being like, please don't platform the, the fascists. She's attacking them for not platforming the fascists. So it's that type of three-way fight pressure group. And I created a little visual in my head of how this kind of like works, but basically people like Ben Burgess and like that whole crowd are like within this pop left sphere and they're being pressured from both the Amy Teresa side as well as our side in terms of staying true to like socialist and left wing values, you know, but it's weird with the Adolf Reed thing because it's like he basically explains this to you. He he throws one of his own friends under the bus with it, mind you, too, because he was friends with Angela Nagel up until that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. So, yeah, yeah. so he acknowledges this. It causes like a whole skirt. These people you claim to now, I guess you're now rejecting Angela Nagel and thus Amy Teresa and that whole type of politics by siding with Reed in this case, yet you're not going to acknowledge the larger implications. And as far as I would characterize Reed himself, is like, you know, he's an academic. He's had thoughts. He has actually written some good shit back in the day. He got into a weird clout chase circle with these Angela Nagel, Amy Teresa type people. And a lot of his shit is conducive to this reaffirming Helping white people cope with their tears. That's what Adolf Reed is. It basically gives, it's basically like a way for white thank people to get you, up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, oh my God, yes. It's a way for white, he's a way for white people to like ex excuse themselves and cope with themselves and be like, oh, I'm not responsible for any of the bad stuff. He's a token black Marxist. Yeah. 
Is he, is he in yeah. Rexus? I'm not sure. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that, that being said, so but but that, all that being said, you know, he's not a fascist or like a right winger, but he was being used. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and, right, right. And this is why, and again, what I just said right there, that took about five minutes. And trying to type that in 280 characters on Twitter to Ben Burgess is not going to fly. You know, like, it's, yeah, yeah. How yeah. do you, it's, so you're saying like Adolf Reed is a Nazi. You're calling a black man a Nazi. You know, that's the art. That's And what's funny, they don't like yeah. identity politics, but they're willing to yeah, use it. They're willing to you know use it like that. They're willing to use it like that. They're willing to go in all these fucking circles, you know, you can't criticize the the hill, the rising show because it's a brown guy and a woman. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, how yeah, could they yeah, be yeah. right wing? And so, they yeah, hate they 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 just hate standpoint epistemology, right? Get the yeah, fuck out but of they're here. the ones fucking engaging. <laughs> God, yeah, like, weaponize it every chance they get, but they hate exactly. it. Out just yeah. So, so this is the thing. So they they'll try to twist your understanding, or they'll, they'll try to say what your critique actually is and warp it so it's something like vulgar and reductive like that. Where it's no, I'm not saying Adolf Reed's a Nazi. I'm saying he has helped facilitate, whether consciously or not, and has been manipulated by reactionary forces. To the extent that he became aware of that was good, and I'm glad that he went on a very well watched show like Katie Halper to say that stuff. I just wish people would take the next step. And right after that interview, Katie Halper interviews Max Blumenthal or like Jimmy Dore or something without any of the self-awareness of what she's, of what Adolf Reed said, which was there was people within these right-wing dark money networks actively looking for controversial people on the left to throw money at them and get them the shitster and sow chaos and discord. And that's like pretty much what, that's how the right wing has been viewing this pop left conflict and what they seem to gain out of it. The whole purpose is to just basically like destroy that like progressive media sphere. That's insane. Now, from our perspective as outsiders, like why should we care? Because the pop left is like the zeitgeist and determining, you know, like for me and my generation and like when I learned this stuff in like the Bush era is I was into sub media like reading crime think books and like yeah yeah you know Coppa Howard's in book or some shit like that you know I don't know Janine Garofalo speaking out against the Iraq war <laughs> you know that's pop left that's influence you know regardless yeah. of what you think of these individual things like that's it matters in that like people the next generation learning about this stuff these are their reference points and if these are the reference points that's bad because these aren't these are not good role models so yeah so that's why that's why it should matter. Where it's like, yeah. where it's, you could view it from an accelerationist standpoint and be like, oh well, if the right wing, yeah. if the right wing is causing chaos operations solely within this progressive media sphere, then why should I? It affects the shit like the DSA. It affects PS. Yes. You yes. Know? Yeah. Because yeah. I can, I can attest to that. As be, a, because yes. PS, you know, because these people are on these same networks. PSL has the radio show on Sputnik and works with Max Blumenthal and Gone yeah. and Katie Helper. The DSA is connect like the upper echelons are connect like the the, the rank the more rank and file shit like that's connected to Jacobin and Verso and I talk about the media sphere because it is connected to the material organizing in that way the people that supported Jacobin affiliated with certain caucuses in the DSA were actively trying to get rid of horizontalism and push back against the the serve the people type programs and the mutual aid projects that, you know, like the LSC and like other factions of the DSA were pushing. 
Yeah, this uh, actually happens in my chapter constantly. Whenever we try to do anything mutually related, as a LSC member myself, uh, we get a lot of pushback. And uh, the became, bread and milk folks are always the ones who are doing a lot of that pushing. That became, yeah, that became the crux of what people talk about when they talk about DSA drama. Is basically, and other factions try to claim it. It's always framed as BNR versus LSC. Those are just the, the main the most visible ones there was yeah there's, there's definitely some some intermediate there's, a lot of, there's also a lot, there's a there's a lot of flip-flop and change in sides and shit especially when it comes to like the tanky chapters and stuff you know because <laughs> the way the the relationship tankies have had with us it as we've approached the dirtbag left and like the social democrats has been very strange or is like they were at our throats when it came to rt and the foreign policy stuff but then now they also don't like racism and nationalism so they're going to push back against that here so they end up it's been very weird stuff i could do a whole another episode on just like yeah <laughs> i would say we should probably continue it's like a it's like a marvel it's like a marvel versus capcom game <laughs> except that it's yeah. tank, tanky, tanky versus dirtbag so like choose your fighter like, uh, <laughs> anyway so the conflict is basically bnr versus lsc with over this issue of like horizontalism mutual aid and again it goes back to what you were saying the crux of it is they're centralists. They want centralized power. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a reactionary caucus in the DSA. It's not that big. It's only a few people. It's actually associated with the Amy Teresa Friendly uh, Bellows magazine. It's called oh. the DSA. It's called the DSA Class Unity Caucus, or CUC for short. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, it's CUC. It's, it's based out of Portland, actually, which is very <laughs> ironic. God damn. Given given how, given that Portland the Portland chapter is one of the few very good ones, <laughs> so they actually they raised they actually raised attention to it because it like how did this one and all the chapters that they could have like you would have thought Philly or something but no they, they show up in yeah, right. Portland anyway so they're yeah they're on the reactionary end of it they were basically you know Angela Nagel is like their deity Adolf Reed and all that stuff they're big into that type of. It's a very small. They they also they have conflict with BNR in general because BNR refuses to actually do the centralization. Mm -hmm. Their critique of BNR was failing during the spring split of 2018, spring caucus split, which caused this bullshit. That's what their criticism is, and because BNR as a material force is aligned with Jacobin and like that pop left center. That's what's going on here. And then you start to understand why people who would defend, who hate Amy Teresa and defend Adolf Reed can't make the connections to larger shit because that's how they're approaching it. Is that basically Amy Teresa's crowd, the DSA caucus crowd, that whole like right wing of, of, of the left there is attacking them for similar reasons of why we're attacking them is that it's a class, they're in a certain class position and they're a center. The difference is we're it's a tug of war from different sides where we're saying like don't platform them and they're saying please platform us and keep going right wing. That's why they get flack and they can't discern the criticism. And that's why when you start throwing shit at them when you say, I think you're a lot more closer to like the Red Scare girls than you are to like our positions. And that gets them very irritated because it's no X person was mean to me. So like I can't be have similar politics to them. But then they go right around and then defend the same people, you know? 
Yeah, I'm keeping myself from name dropping here, but I, I have th I have thoughts. Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you can go ahead yeah. and name drop if you want, but I'm just I want to in in case like certain people hear this episode, I want to limit the amount of harassment I get. But yeah, there's elements of people who base who have been on the right side in terms of recognizing the most reactionary aspects, like Red Scare or Amy Teresa or Angela Nagel, but they don't recognize like the wider as it spreads out wider with Jimmy Dore or Max Blumenthal or, yeah, you know, any of the other. And I find that problematic. And because it's, again, a process of normalization. And I think those particular people, it's it's frustrating because what they, the role they essentially serve is like a fence sitter. And you basically, it, it's, you waste your time with them because you, 50% of the time they might be on your side and 50% of the time they might be shitting on you. So you're like, you can't, you don't really, you can't really gauge when like they're not really trustworthy is what i'm saying mm -hmm. i guess yeah so i think it's huh. interesting in terms of how the harassment mechanism and i guess i guess how kiwi farms-esque twitter gets in terms of how harassment and like turning people into like these like figureheads of hate or like ridicule or yeah. whatever and it, it gets to a point where it's like a meme in and of itself so yeah we're well like last point about like just Amy Teresa, and then I just want to stop talking about her. Is like, we're well past the we're well past the point of talking about her and focusing on her because she is so recognizable at this point as like a point of reaction that other reactionary people have started to denounce her. So it's like she no longer serves the purpose that I think in terms of like pushing this conversation forward. You know, right? Like I want to get to like the I want to get to the center because I want to talk about the people of influence and you know, who are closer and you know, more respectable, you know, I want to talk about like the Michael Brookses and the Ben Dixons and the Jimmy yeah. Doors. And I want to talk about, I want to shift the conversation to, to that and how, look, within your own circle, there are Amy type people. Like you, yes. you've never yeah, 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 yeah. recognized, you can, it's this type of dishonesty and that's what it comes from. It's like when Katie or Ben Burgess or someone says that Red Brown isn't real, they're being dishonest because they already, we already know they acknowledge that it is real because they have denounced like Amy Teresa and Angela Nagel. So it's very strange. I think what it mm. comes down to is like who you're friends with and you'll call out somebody for something that you won't call out your friend for. And it's like that type of dynamic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go ahead and wrap this up here. Thank, thank you for that, Sadie. That was a very real, very gloomy education to yeah i just took a huge swig of water because i'm pretty sure like i just did that one little sound bite there like non-stop for two minutes no that, that just, was like, phenomenal took a huge swig of water because like, i was, was like i can't speak it... anymore <laughs> uh, anyway. no 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 that was great and because because people need leftists who are just baby leftists and people who are just coming yeah. into our movement need to know about this stuff, need to know about what's happening. And it seems to me, just to wrap it up here, it seems that all of this is just a big sort of like the term for it is recuperation under yeah. capitalism and by right wing forces using the veneer and, and the veneer of anti-capitalism and socialism to really ultimately at the end of the day still ad advance the interest of capital and the right. Mm -hmm. I guess to talk about Mark Fisher again, it's just the term he used in his book was interpassivity. Capitalism mm -hmm. can use anti-capitalism for its own purposes. And that's essentially what this sort of pop left I mean, thing is all about. It's 
Katie Halper named her podcast the Matt Taibbi Useful Idiots, and I think that sums up yep. exactly yep. the role Useful that they've. <laughs> well, and the, I guess the point, and the point is like whether intentionally or not. And I always say that phrase as a caveat because I just want to emphasize it's you don't have to be conscious to be like enabling bad stuff, and mm. you know, most of the time that's usually how it works. And sometimes when you wake people up. You know the original definition of taking the red and the, the matrix way of what it was meant to be, like waking people up, uh, is to get them to recognize that and then be like, "Oh, right. I should, I should stop this and not enable." Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. If you'd have to ask me, like, who's in on it or whatever, in terms of, I don't want to focus on that because it'd be too hard to parse. Obviously, some people are more aware of it than others. Others are just like cynical pieces of shit and just doing it to get the clout, regardless. Right. Of they don't have politics, you know, but at the, it doesn't really matter what their intentions are or why they're in it because it all ultimately serves the same end of like just normalizing reactionary talking points as well as just triggering that outrage culture within the left. And this is something that like Steve Bannon has talked about and Steve Miller have talked about of uh, cult of this is their this is the right wing strategy of what they've always what they've baked into their policy is that you got to trigger the left reacts to outrage, so you got to trigger the left, and you can trigger them to get them to do what you want. It's basically how it works. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. It's, thank it's you. funny to me. Before we switch yeah. segments, I just wanted to point out that you mentioned that there are people who will say that like red brown shit is, doesn't exist, like that their positionism shit don't exist or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if anyone has ever done any like socialist organizing or been in any of these like leftist spaces, like. That argument always comes up of, hey, let's reach out to right wingers. You know, let's try mm -hmm. to let's try to turn the Nazis like that. That's I, I'm not trying to just generalize, but white people can't help themselves. Like they just at some point, a lot of them come to, to the point where oh, just, know. we got to get our, our racist cousins on board or whatever the fuck. No, I, mean, I used to I used to I, I mean, I had a podcast host. I used to do a podcast with someone who there's like a local MAGA person turned neo-Nazi named Jovi Val. And they had saw them at a protest. Uh, they were counter protesting, and then they talked to them for a bit. And then they went and got a beer with them later. Mm -hmm. And then they come back to me and tell me it's like, hey, I talked to Jovi, and they don't see the, 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 and this and that. And maybe we could actually reach out to them. And yada yada yada. Three months later, we we doxed a motherfucker, and he's like doing sea hailing and swastikas and shit. And it's like, wow. You're like. You came to me saying, hey, I think there's a Proud Boy that we could work with and try to work with. And it turns out this Proud Boy became a Nazi. And it's like, you're right. It's just like white people don't have good judgment. <laughs> it's true. Um, oh, man. Man, man. But thank you. Thank you for that, Sadie. Yeah, thank you, Sam. Thank you for leading us in that conversation. That is, that is a lot for us to chew on for our listeners mm -hmm. as well. And we, we want to have you on because we knew you had the receipts. We knew you had the mm -hmm. receipts. And we, it's really important for people to, to people on the left to just be aware of this bullshit that's going I was, on. But I was, we, we, named, we also named dropped a lot of different people in here. I just want to emphasize to your listeners, if you... Take notes. <laughs> if you uh, listen to what I actually said, where X person's name comes up, I'm not about to like have right, people, right, right. people come jumping up and me saying, I I called X person a fascist or Y person. Right. Because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Y'all, please, y'all, please listen to the context listen, and don't don't like, swell uh, our mentions with bullshit. Make sure you please, get right. please. Um, it's like, so, no, this is the problem. It's like the, the Call of Duty type of mentality that people have had. Like, 
they think that you need to have a not a swastika in your face in order for it to be fascist right. or something. Anyway. Yeah. When we yeah. do have a we do um, have a big issue as you brought up with code of personality, celebrity folks yes. really want some left celebrities for some reason. So they just can't yeah. let go of these figures that have tried to step into the limelight. Yes. If you re- read Spectacle Theory, the Situationists, Guide the Board, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm talking to your audience, please. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna link we're gonna link to to some of the stuff we're talking about, and I'll definitely link people to to that. The Society of the Spectacle, correct? Yep. Geek yep. board, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's very relevant. Any if you're talking about any media discussion, obviously not just manufacturing consent, but Society of the Spectacle is also important. And just like yeah, it's not just a propaganda model. It's also just like a bullshit discord <laughs> so yeah yeah we're gonna yeah. we're gonna go ahead and switch up here to our last segment the the black joy segment and and so on this basically we just sound off on leave it on a positive note we sound off on some things that we've been enjoying media wise entertainment wise or just life wise that have been giving us joy and just a lot of positive encouragement as we continue to struggle through these times. It's been the holidays, so hopefully it was everyone was enjoying their time with family or friends or, or whomever. So Sadie, since you're our guest, go ahead and sound off on whatever has been just making you happy, if anything. <laughs> I'm glad the year is over. <laughs> and yeah. I mean I mean I'm glad the people who've made it are here and that we're we're still struggling on and going on. And Things are dark as they've ever been as well, but we're in a new chapter, I guess. And just like in 2009, who could have predicted that the, the following decade would just be very tumultuous and 60s. So let's not see if we can have that same energy. You, you don't know what's going to happen within the next four years as things keep spiraling. So always look for a silver lining. There's always a possibility of eruption and resistance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Tony, uh, what about you? Uh, you know, family's had, had some off time. The kid for the holidays and then also my significant other. So we, you know, just been hanging out. A lot of Legos, man. A lot, lot of Legos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Well, your feet probably fucked up from stepping oh, on some of this shit. I, I, I got some inside slides and some outside slides. That's dope. That's dope. What's going uh, on, with Glenn? What about you? Um. Well, for me, I've been, you know, again, also dealing with the holiday and stuff. I got a kid, got a partner, so I'm just trying to keep things as joyful as possible around here because this is definitely a tough time. You know, that first Christmas where he don't get to spend time with his grandparents and stuff like that. But on that note, though, I've been really trying to engage with him with some content because my son has unfortunately been a little bit indoctrinated by a few things like Paw Patrol and stuff. So teaching him the old lessons that you can only trust your fish. Police will never help you by playing some Streets of Rage 4 with my boy. Been really getting down with that lately. That's been fun. Uh, he's really good at it. So that's always cool. And outside of that, just been engaging with different media, watching some anime. I was watching this one called Kaiba, which is like about this, these two different, like there's like a upper class and a lower class and the upper class basically trade and like people's consciousness and shit like that. Like it, it's pretty wild. So that's pretty much what I've been up to. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope for me, man. The holidays was, was, was good. I had to unfortunately work uh, through a bit of it, but I got like 50 bucks for Christmas or whatever. And I splurged on fucking uh, books. Yeah. For me, it was just hanging out with a family and 
just like checking in on people, talking to friends and stuff like that for the holidays. I got 50 bucks for Christmas. So I like splurged on books or whatever, a few books. But I'm reading this one. This one is fucking hilarious. Everyone should read this book. It's called A Libertarian Walks Into a Bear, The Utopian Plot to Liberate an American Town and Some Bears. It's fucking it's hilarious. It, it's, it's tragic and hilarious because it's by this um, freelance journalist and he's basically talking about this town out in New Hampshire called Grafton, basically about how like back in, I think it was back in 2004, libertarians essentially took over, essentially took over the town and tried to create what they call the, the Freetown Project. And it's basically just recounting the insanity of just right-wing libertarianism and how its logic of in, in, inadvertently destroys a society. So it's, it's a really good book. I, I would recommend people check that out. But yeah, that's, that's really it for me, just, just trying to enjoy the holidays and stuff like that and doing a bit of reading. But yeah, man, this has been a great episode. Again, thank you, Comrade Sadie, for coming on and just blessing us with the wisdom, giving us the receipts. I'm pretty sure thank our mentions are going to, absolutely, I'm pretty sure our mentions are going to swell the fuck up uh, off of this one. So I guess that's always good. Uh. But yeah, th- thank you so much. This has been another episode of A Thousand Cuts, a BSA podcast. I'm your host, Demetrius, here with my comrades, Tony and Glenn. Remember to follow us. You can follow us on SoundCloud, on Apple, and on Spotify. Please follow us there. Also, if you have any money left over, if you would like to support us at all, I know this has been a rough year for everyone financially. Please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. If not, that is perfectly fine. If you don't have the the money to support us, but you would still like to hear the extra content, you can hit us up. And we are definitely willing to help you guys out and give it to y'all. This is not about money. This is about real political education and inspiring people to to get up and get out and change things. But if you are willing to support us, please support us there. That's patreon.com slash thousand cuts. And we are still working on more bonus content for y'all. But thank you guys so much. And, and let's be real. If you got it, you should help us out because we're not from the million dollar bank. Yeah, at all. Yeah, no, we are not. No, we yeah, no, New York, no New York Times writers in your family. No, not at, at all. At, at, no, not at, not at all. Not at all. And also, listeners, this helps us to become independent and helps us to actually create more content for you guys. More content and more quality content when you're willing to support us. So please please consider it and yeah we're not sponsored by anyone just just us so again thank you guys so much for listening this has been a thousand cuts until next time peace and solidarity love y'all